We're about to learn a really revolutionary concept that the Rebbe is going to teach us in Rashi's explanation of the beginning of Parashas Va'era. What is the opening message and theme of the parasha? Two opinions that Rashi shares with us, and in doing so, shows that there's a totally unexpected way to understand the pshat of a pasuk. So, Allah Psukim Shibitchilas Pasha Seinu, commenting on a, a, a variety of psukim at the beginning of our parasha, Va'ira Lavram Begoimer. The pasuk that says that Hashem tells Moshe that I appeared to Avram begama ki Moshe's brisi itam goimer and I kept my promise to them etc. Hebi Rashi shnei pirushim. So over a few psukim Rashi brings two explanations. Allah first he tells us toichem psukim elu who hakdama li psukim dehalon. This vaera is an introduction to the psukim that will follow, which is begama nishamaita esnachas bnei sol goimer. I heard the complaints of the Jewish people. Lochen emel bnei sol goimer. Therefore you should tell them that I'm going to take them out. Vaitzesi aschem goimer. Says Rashi, because Hashem had already promised Avram Yitzchak and and he made a covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. And he had, till that point, not fulfilled the promise. Therefore, here Hashem says, this is what I'm about to talk about. I spoke to Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov and made them a promise. Here's going to be the beginning of the fulfillment of that promise. I heard the cries of the Jewish people. And I remember that covenant. Therefore, tell the Jewish people the good news. They're going out of Mitzrayim. In other words, the introduction to the next piece that Rashi identifies is that now Hashem will fulfill the promises he made to the Oboys. That's one line of explanation. Rashi gives another. Base. But Rabbi Seinu Dara that there is a medrash that says actually Vaira Lavram refers back to what was mentioned previously at the end of Parsha Shmois. Shama Moshe Lama Hari Oisev. And Moshe complained to the Abishan and said, Why have you made things worse for the Jewish people since you sent me here? Hainu, in other words, unlike the first explanation that says these psukim are the introduction to what will follow. This explanation says these psukim actually relate back to something that was already said. And then this is part of the Abishta's response to Moshe's complaint, why have you made things worse for the Jewish people? And in that, in that, the highlights the greatness of the Ovis. They didn't ask me for a name, as you, Moshe, did. When they had things that didn't seem to go according to the promises made to them, they didn't question. Mashenken, Moshe, where is Moshe? You did ask what name should I convey to the Jewish people? And Loma Harioisa, you did complain about the way that I conduct things. So <clears throat> that explanation link, links it back to, so to speak, the addressing Moshe's complaints. On Mamshech Rashi, then, this is going to be a very interesting part of our conversation. Rashi then continues, after giving us that second explanation, and says, This medrash that I've just quoted doesn't really settle nicely within the words of the Pasuk itself. For a variety of reasons that Rashi spells out. And Rashi effectively raises two questions. It doesn't say in the Pasuk that, that, that Avram Yitzchak didn't ask for my name, whereas Rashi is actually saying that's what the Medrash teaches. And also the flow doesn't seem to really work well. He asks these two questions. And then Rashi concludes as follows, and we need to pay attention to these words. Therefore I say, let's keep the Pasuk with its simplest explanation. Like the Pasuk in Mishle, that, you know, just keep things as they are stated. And those who want to explore further in the world of Medrash may do so. Because the Pasuk tells us, The Abisha says, My words are like fire. Like a hammer that shatters a boulder. And it breaks up into many sparks. 
Okay, the Pashas near Shibidvarabin It would appear at first glance that what Rashi wants us to know is effectively two things. Number one, the fact that he's saying this medrash doesn't really suit the pshat, obviously he's telling us it's not the best way to explain the simplest understanding of the pasuk. And if he shames him, because it doesn't fit nicely with the words and the flow and the context. Now, Rashi has told us many times that his intention is to tell us the pshat. This doesn't really fit well with the pshat. And generally, he'd only quote something midrashic if it is directly related to the pshat. So that's why here he's saying, I'm not comfortable with this medrash because it doesn't really fit the pshat. And based at the same time, on the other hand, but at the same time, Rashi wants to be clear, just because I'm saying this medrash doesn't fit well with the Pasuk, doesn't mean I reject the principle of medrash. Go ahead and learn medrash, it's a good thing. Because Torah has many channels and approaches, like the brick, uh, sorry, like the hammer that smashes the stone. And if you do go down the drosha route, the medrash route, you will actually find a good explanation. Okay, so Rashi seems to be settling to say, I don't really think this medrash fits nicely with the pshat of the pasuk, but medrash has its place in Yiddish and should be learned. Problem is this, there's actually quite some important questions to raise over here. Quote number one, when does Rashi do that? Quote something and say, but I don't agree with it. It's completely out of character for Rashi to quote a source and then say, but I don't feel the source is really that valid. Rashi's approach usually is, he'll only tell us the information that is directly related to the Pshat, and should there be another interpretation that doesn't fit the Pshat, he just won't mention it. Vilokan, whereas here he breaks from protocol, he gives us all the detail of what the Medrash says, and immediately after that, he explains why he doesn't really accept it as something that fits with the words of the Pasuk. Why is Rashi doing this? Second of all, even if for whatever reason Rashi feels it really necessary to tell us here at this point, that's going to be our question, why is it here at this point, that if you have an explanation that doesn't fit comfortably in the, in the, in the, in the pshat, it's still valid within Torah, because as he's told us, Torah breaks up into many different channels and all of them are valid. Rashi should have told us the first time he told us the rules of how you interpret Torah. Where Rashi told us right at the beginning of Bereshis, I'm not going to quote Midrashim that do not fit nicely with the Pshat. And there he could have told us, and there are other equally valid streams. I'm just not going to quote them. Befrat. It would be the most suitable place for Rashi to give us this information in Bereshis because he does tell us other relevant information about how you learn Medrash. Yes, Midrash immediately tells us there are many Midrashim. Here's where you can find them. But my job is not to go into the world of Medrash, but rather just to tell you the simple explanation of the Pasuk. And I'll borrow a Medrash. I'll borrow a Medrash when it helps us understand the Pshat better. And that could have been the Shane Rashi Khan. He actually could have used very similar language to what he uses over here. 
That's where Rashi should have given us this rule that he's just told us now that sometimes it's best to go look at the Medrash and it's also valid. And he could have told us he could have there concluded with the same message as over here, which is that the Torah splits up into many different types of explanation, all of which are valid and not, most of which do not belong in Rashi. Why is Rashi bringing it here? And why is Rashi quoting a, an explanation and then essentially rejecting it? Okay, so let's try and answer this. But Pashtas, yesh leforish. Shatam shebi Rashi pirusha b'seinuhu. Well, the, uh, the simplest answer why Rashi is quoting a Medrash would be like Rashi always quotes a Medrash. If the Pshat answer leaves us with questions, we need something to address those questions. Must be that Rashi is quoting the Medrash because it will resolve some questions that will linger after we have seen the explanation according to Pshat. What questions would we have? Well, we'd actually have some serious questions because those four words right at the beginning of the parish that say, and the Ibishta spoke to Moshe. Piresh Rashi, Rashi identifies on the word Vaidabar, which is a harsh language, and Elohim, which is the Ebishta in the role of Gevura. Rashi says that the Ebishta is speaking harshly and almost judgmentally to Moshe Rabbeinu over the fact that he had questions, why have you done bad to the Jewish people? When Rashi gives that explanation, he doesn't attach it to a medrash, implying the simplest way to understand that is that Hashem is reprimanding Moshe at that point. Or if he's a nimza, which would then imply that the first comment that Rashi says, the first explanation we looked at over here, which is Rashi saying the opening psukim of this parasha are to introduce us to what's going to continue in the rest of the parasha, not to link back to the previous parasha, then we have a big question. In these four words, which Rashi explains is linked back to Parsha Shmois, it must be independent of the rest of the opening statements of Parsha's Vaira. And they are still linked to Moshe's complaints in the end of last Parsha. That's a very difficult explanation to swallow. For two reasons. First reason is no Really the Pasuk should have been Moshe and then etc. Because the first part of the Pasuk really belongs to and is attached to the end of the previous parasha. Whereas the second part of the Pasuk from the words that's where the introduction to what's happening next should come. So logic says that Pasuk should have actually been to Psukim. But besides that, straight after Moshe raised his concerns, why have you made life difficult for the Jewish people after you sent me? immediately addresses that and responds, now you'll see that I'm going to honor my commitments and I'm going to sort it out. So it's already been dealt with. So now we have a big question. Why would the Torah take four words, and split it, break it off from the flow of the conversation that apparently this reprimand is part of? Moshe complains. The responds. 
And then we get told how or what kind of mood the Eibosheth shared with Moshe. Right? Mishpat. Why are you splitting it? And you're going to put that in a different segment of Torah, which is actually a different parasha in the Chumash. Why would you do that? Maybe that's the reason why Rashi had to bring a Medrash, because there's this glaring question about how we're understanding the Pshat flow, that there's this mix-up and mash-up at the beginning of the parasha of information that belongs to the previous story and information that introduces the next story, and it's all in one pasuk. So therefore, he has to give us another alternative. So the Medrash helps, because the Medrash says, well, actually, the next few psukim are not just simply an introduction to what follows, but they're also part of the conversation from last week's parasha, because this is actually the detail of what the reprimand from Hashem was to Moshe. Why did you speak? Why did you ask questions? Why were you not like the others? Okay? Sounds like a great reason to explain why Rashi gave a pshat and then went to a medrash. But once you look at this closely, it's actually not an answer. Rashi because Rashi tells us clearly, the Medrash does not work nicely within the flow of the sentences and the words within those sentences. Now, you're proposing that the reason Rashi quotes the Medrash is because we have a problem with the words, and then he tells us, but this Medrash doesn't solve the problem with the words, and that cannot be the reason he brought the Medrash. Rashi is effectively telling us that the issues with marrying this medrash to the pshat is so overwhelming that there's actually no way you could say that this medrash fits with pshat. Even though it might answer some other niggling questions that we have, but it doesn't work with the pshat. Which takes us back to our original question. Why would Rashi mention at all, and then not only at all, but in so much detail, the, what the Medrash perspective is? So when Rashi knows, he's not going to accept it as the explanation. Now there are numerous occasions, including five different times in, this, in Sefer Bereshis, so in other words, before this parasha, where Rashi says there is a Medrash, it's not necessarily going to fit nicely with the Pshat, but it will address an issue in the Pshat. I'm not going to take the Medrash as an explanation of the Pshat, even though it will help us get our heads around questions we have on the Pshat. Then Rashi will say it in a simpler way. There in other words, teasing us to go and look and see what the Medrash has to say if we have those questions. As we find in many places, as mentioned five times before this parasha, in none of those scenarios does Rashi actually quote the Medrash and say, but it doesn't fit the Pshat. Why here? Now, before we can get into any of that, let's analyze the very last statement that Rashi made, because it also seems to be a very bizarre statement, and for that reason, there are three different interpretations of what Rashi was actually trying to tell us. 
Masim Divrei Rashi Hanal Adrosha Tidoresh Rashi concludes by saying, "You want a darshan? Go ahead, read the midrash. It's all fine." Haloi koi shenem haloi koi dvarai koi eishnu mashem because the midrash just says my words are like fire. Oka patishi for it's tzela and the pasuk continues that it's like a hammer shattering a boulder. Mischalik lekamen itzoytes that splits up into many sparks. Dorosh beer. We need to understand. What breaks over here? That it breaks up into multiple or, or myriad sparks. There's a three-way debate. What is it that, that scatters and shatters? The simplest explanation is we're talking about the boulder that gets whacked with the, the hammer and therefore it breaks apart. Like a hammer that shatters a boulder. The simplest way to understand it is that the boulder is broken into smithereens because of the tool that smashes it. That's exactly how Rashi explains it in Gemara. When this conversation comes up in Gemara Shabbos, he says, That's exactly the words that he uses. The nature is that when you take this heavy sledgehammer and you smash it against the rock, the rock will break up into pieces. That's the simplest way. It's not the only interpretation. There's another interpretation, the exact opposite. The second explanation is that the hammer breaks because of the strength of the rock that it's trying to hit. And that's actually how some people read what Rashi is supposed to say. Not the language of the Gemara. The patish mischalek gets broken up. And as we're talking about this really solid rock that breaks the tool which was intended to break it. So those two opinions you probably could have guessed. The third opinion is really surprising. Yes, it is the, about the hammer, according to the third opinion, the hammer hitting the stone, but neither the stone breaks nor the hammer breaks. Rather, we're describing the sparks that fly from the hammer when the hammer hits against the harsh surface of the rock. Truth is, all three explanations really leave us with a question. The first explanation, which is the hammer breaks the rock. The question is, Okay, picture the scene. There's this boulder smashing into tiny pieces. Why is Rashi calling that sparks? should call it shards. Sparks is a term that you use to describe things that come from something that is a source of heat or light. Why didn't Rashi just say it breaks up into multiple tiny little pieces? The second explanation is definitely not the simplest way to interpret this. Because the truth is the Nitzotis question is still valid, even if you say it's the, 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 the hammer that's breaking. But there's two other issues over here. To take those words, like, patish, a hammer, breaking a stone, and then explain it, that it actually means that the hammer is breaking. That is the exact opposite of the simplest way you would interpret that pasuk. Especially looking at the, the version of Rashi we have. Where he doesn't have the quotation from the Gemara in our version of Rashi to say 
Just like a hammer against stone would break, so too words of Torah split up into many different variations. There's no way you could suggest that Rashi, whose entire life is dedicated to explaining things in the simplest and clearest way, in his interpretation, intended to clarify things, would write a statement that leaves us questioning what exactly does it mean, just like the, the hammer hitting the stone makes many sparks. And it's definitely unthinkable that Rashi would actually expect us to interpret the Pasuk in the exact opposite way of the Pshat. Not Rashi, maybe somebody else. Secondly, if we are going to go with the second explanation, which says that the, the hammer cracks, Rashi should have given us some insight and said it's a really hard stone. And it's not like any normal stone that would shatter under the force of the hammer. And he doesn't tell us that. Even the third interpretation isn't so clear because let's be honest. It's really, if we are concerned that the pshat about hitting the hammer onto the rock is going to break the hammer, that that's far-fetched, then it's also far-fetched to say that what's going to be produced is not broken stone or broken hammer, but sparks. Also, that word mischalek sounds like something that breaks apart, not something that sparks which brings, of course, the greatest question of all of these three interpretations, or the quotation that Rashi says, considering that Rashi always likes to write things in the clearest possible way, in a way that even a five-year-old learning Torah for the first time would be able to appreciate. Why here is he leaving something so ambiguous? leads it open to a three-way debate and we're not even sure what Rashi intended why would he do that and just to highlight the extent of the question when Rashi is explaining the Gemara Shabbos he spelled out clearly how he understood this expression. He made it clear that it means that the, the boulder breaks under the force of the hammer. So surely he should have done the same when he's explaining Chumash, which is supposed to be much simpler. One last thing, one last issue that we have to look at, and that is Rashi also seems to add information when he tells us about the, the versatility of Torah, information that didn't need to be there. When Rashi quotes a pasuk saying that it's like the hammer breaking the stone, he also included the beginning of the pasuk. David says, "My words are like fire." What's that got to do with it? What has the fact that Abish's words are like fire to do with what Rashi wants to express over here, which is that the Torah can be interpreted in multiple ways, all valid? 
Surely the only part of that pasuk that is relevant to Rashi's point about the diversity of Torah explanations is the part where the stone splits up, not the fact that Hashem's words are like fire. And an even bigger question on this, this exact principle, as we've already touched on very briefly, the idea that just like the stone can shatter into many pieces under the force of the hammer, so one concept in Torah can be split into many, many diverse opinions. We already mentioned that it's in Gemara Shabbos. It's also in the Gemara Sanhedrin. And in Gemara Shabbos, it doesn't say that every concept could be interpreted in many ways. Rather, it says that this is to teach us that every word that the Abisha said at the time of the giving of the Torah was immediately transposed into all the 70 languages. Over Masech Sanhedrin, closer to what we're talking about in Sanhedrin, it says, Shemikra Echad, Yosurakama Taimim, a single Pasuk, could have many, many reasons behind it or many explanations of it. In both cases, the Gemara did not feel it necessary to quote the beginning of the Pasuk, where the Abisha says, my words are like fire. Only the part that's directly relevant to what the message is of the Gemara, which is, it's like the stone smashing the, the bowl into smithereens. Now, it's interesting because there are two other places in the Gemara, and there it says this pasuk about smashing the stone in a completely different way. It says, "Im pog If you are, if you encounter the Yitzhar, if the Yitzhar tries to interfere with your life, schlep him to the yeshiva. It will sort him out. Im whom he If he is tough as iron, he will explode." Because the pasuk says, Because there it's relevant for us to know that the words of Hashem are like fire. And it concludes the Pasuk also like a hammer smashing a stone. There it makes perfect sense why the Gemara would also include the part of the Pasuk that Hashem's words are like fire. Why is it worthwhile? Why is it effective to schlep the Yetzirah to the base Medrash, to the Yeshiva? She imparzolumis points it because if he is iron, he'll be destroyed. He kipirish Rashi Shem. What does it mean he'll be destroyed? Says Rashi, because Torah is like fire that will melt the iron. So if the message of the Gemara is that the fire of Torah will melt the power of the Yetzirah, then it makes sense to quote the part of the Pasuk that tells us Torah is like fire. But in our conversation, where all we want to know is that one idea in Torah can split into many, many sub-ideas and channels and perspectives, why surely we don't need the beginning of the Pasuk? Why does Rashi quote it? And finally, when we compare what Rashi says over here to a very similar conversation Rashi has with us all the way back in Parashas Vayishlach, it also raises uh, further questions about how Rashi is interpreting things over here. Let's do a comparison between Rashi's explanation here and in Parashas Vayishlach. What happens in Parashas Vayishlach? Also, two versions of how you interpret a Pasuk, and Rashi says there are possible options. So, And then the Pasuk says, and he called it 
Rashi gives two explanations. The first explanation is the simplest explanation. And then appears And then he gives one according to the Drash. So the simplest explanation is not that the Mizbech is named God, but rather the Mizbech is a tribute to the fact that the helped and looked after Yaakov. Medrash, that at this point the called Yaakov Kel. And then Messiah, Rashi concludes, exactly like he says over here. The words of, Ash, of the Torah are like that boulder smashed by the hammer. And that could be diversified into many different explanations. My job, says Rashi, is just to satisfy the simplest explanation. There's Rashi saying the same comment as here without quoting the beginning of the Pasuk. All right. You can see there, Rashi is doing what he normally does, keeping things as simple and clear as possible. He explains what the Moshal means, that an idea within Torah can split into many different explanations and reasons. And of course, he's using that expression to clarify how divrei Torah work. There, you can now marry the message, the nimshal, with the simplest understanding of the mushal, which is the hammer is breaking the stone. Of a mele inside Rashi circle of Rosa's behead, and Rashi doesn't have to explain that because it's obvious. The hammer breaks the stone into many, many smithereens, and that's exactly what happens with Torah. One idea gets split up into many, many perspectives. And then Bayes, Eno Mavis Chirasakos, if he leaves out the first part of the passage, which makes a lot of sense, that my words are like fire, says Hashem. He only quotes the words that are directly relevant, which is like the stone smashed by the hammer. Why doesn't Rashi do that? You have him, Cain. It really raises the question about our parasha. Why here is Rashi giving a different kind of interpretation on what looks like it's the same message? That he gave him parashas vayishlach. Aleph enochet v'leshem ischalak lekamen nitzoitzos. Here he doesn't say that the words of Torah are split up into many words or many perspectives or many um, reasons. Here he says it splits into many sparks. Instead of telling us what the moshel means, Rashi continues explaining the moshel. Which leaves us with the ambiguity. So, what exactly broke in the marshal? Because he doesn't tell us. And then, why also does he include the beginning of the pasuk where he says, "My words, Hashem says, of Torah are like fire." And it's in that particular area that we start to find an answer. Because the reason Rashi quotes the beginning of the Pasuk is directly linked to the reason why he doesn't spell out the mushal in our Pirush, and that's going to help us understand what Rashi intends to achieve over here. The one difference between Vayishlach explains the other. By examining the two distinctions between how Rashi explains things here versus in Vayishlach. The firstly, the fact that he adds the first half of the Pasuk, which he didn't do in Vayishlach. And here he specifically writes that it's splitting up into many sparks. Rashi is doing that so he can clarify what he actually wants to tell us over here. That expression that it diversifies or breaks up or splits up 
in this particular conversation? It's not like in the Gemara, and it's not like in Parshas Vayishlach. It's not describing the stone and how the stone breaks, or the other version of how the hammer breaks. It's describing the nature of fire. That's why the fire is included. That part of the Pasuk is included, because that's what's Mishalik, what breaks up into sparks, which is actually now quite logical, because sparks do come from fire. Because it is obviously the simplest thing in the world to say if the product is sparks, the cause is fire, not a stone. Stones don't become sparks, neither do hammers. So what's Rashi trying to tell us? As we've already touched on Rashi's intention is to tell us this. wants us to know that his words are like fire. Torah is compared to fire. So says Hashem. And fire operates like a hammer. Fire is compared to a hammer that smashes a stone. In the same way as the hammer breaks the stone into many pieces, that is now marshal for the first part of the pasuk. The fire described in this pasuk, which is words of Torah, also splits up into not pieces but sparks. Why over here is that Rashi's focus? Unlike in Parashas Vayishlach, where he was happy to say that it's a stone breaking into pieces to describe the many perspectives of Torah. And here he's specifically telling us it's fire breaking into sparks, which is similar to the stone breaking up under the force of the hammer. There he was happy just to say it's like a stone. It's because, and here we're about to enter into the space of the great bombshell the Rebbe is going to teach us from this Rashi. Here there's a whole new perspective. A whole unique, never seen before connection or relationship between the simplest understanding of the Pasuk and the Medrash understanding of a Pasuk. And Rashi wants to draw our attention to this revolutionary new type of understanding of Torah we've never seen before. The best way to describe the surprising approach that the Torah is taking over here is to speak about fire splitting into sparks rather than stones breaking down into shards. So what's Rashi trying to tell us over here? Let's go back to Rashi's whole message, which we questioned. Quote a Midrash, then tell us it doesn't really fit the, the Pshat, and then tell us about Rashi Yudorish. What's his message? Rashi's intention when he said, He's saying, let's leave the pshat as pshat and go experience drasha elsewhere or, or, or even here, but it, know that you're in the world of drash. That comment of Rashi, don't, let's not understand it as superficially as we did before. That Rashi is defending and saying something is medrash and it doesn't exactly fit the Pasuk. But don't worry, it's still valid Torah. The Mike what's Rashi teaching us that we don't already know? Here's the Chiddush. Rashi is showing us then in this particular scenario, the Pshat message of the Pasuk is also, in addition to what it's telling us according to Pshat, is also telling us you have to look further into the world of Drash.
In other words, we do see that Rashi uses something similar in other places. Rashi says, this Pasuk is telling us the only way to understand it is you have to use Drash. But here Rashi is telling us something fundamentally different. Because when Rashi says that he's saying the Pasuk is telling us there is no satisfactory Pshat interpretation, you can only understand this through the eyes of Medrash. Here's doing something else. So, in all of those scenarios, Rashi is saying you're not going to find joy in just the Pshat, you have to engage the Medrash. Here, Rashi is doing something totally different. Rashi is alerting us to a whole new way of understanding a Pasuk. The whole Torah until this point has not yet had a scenario where this is how you learn the Pasuk. What's the way to learn the Pasuk? Yes, there is a valid Pshat to understand this Pasuk. But it's the best way to understand the Pasuk, and therefore Rashi will list it as the first explanation. And the reason it's the best way to explain it is because it works with the language and it fits the language. Yet while you learn that pshat, which is valid, that pshat says, but you can't stop here, you have to also incorporate drash. There's a need for drash. In other words, once we understand what the pshat is, that's what compels us. The pshat will force us to appreciate that there are two key elements to understanding this pasuk. Both pshat, so normally Rashi just says pshat and you can learn medrash on your own, and drash, but it's not one of these cases where you're stuck without the drash. The pshat works, and you have to have the drash as well. My time in my tagrash is a medrash, that's why Rashi brings us measured. Even though the Medrash doesn't really work nicely with the words and the context. Because Rashi's telling us the Medrash doesn't fit nicely with the Psukim, but I'm not rejecting it. Because the message of the Medrash is relevant and valid, and we're going to keep it as part of how we understand the Pasuk. What does that mean? In all the other places around the Torah where Rashi says there are many Midrashim to look into. Rashi is essentially giving us homework and saying, look, the Pshat is going to leave you with some questions. It's not my job to address those questions, but the Medrash does so. Please look in the Medrash. Which effectively is Rashi saying, were it not for this particular question about the Pshat, there'd be nothing compelling you to read the Medrash. And because Rashi is referring us in all of those instances to Midrashim that don't really speak the language of the Pasuk so clearly, but they just simply address a specific comment, or, uh, sorry, a, a specific question in the Medrash. So, in Rashi, there's no reason for Rashi to quote the Medrash as part of his explanation of the Pshat, because it's not an explanation of the Pshat, it's only to resolve a question from the Pshat. 
our case is completely different. Yes, we know that the purpose of this medrash is to address questions that linger once you read the pshat. But besides that, the message of the medrash is incredibly important to understanding what's going on over here in the parasha. Based on how you understand the psukim. And that's going to take us back to those four words that seem misplaced in the parasha because that will stimulate a big question in the mind of the five-year-old learning Chumash. When the child learned at the end of last week's parasha that Moshe said to the Ebishter, why have you done negative, why have you made things worse for the Jewish people? And then the child realizes that the Ebesha is reprimanding Moshe for this. And then the child will remember, hey, I, I remember learning about Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, and they had many, many difficulties in their lives. And there's no record in the whole of the Torah that they ever complained to Hashem. The child says, well, it's obvious that David must have said to Moshe, some kind of a message along the lines of, I, I, I'm afraid we, we, we lost the caliber of people of the office. In fact, had David not addressed this issue with Moshe and made the comparison to the others, the child would have been really surprised. How is it that David is not saying anything about the fact that the others accepted everything with absolute faith and Moshe's questioning? So therefore, once Rashi tells us, after Rashi tells us, yes, the the the, the medrash of doesn't really fit perfectly with the words. Therefore, the pshat should go with the first explanation, which is that these psukim are just introducing what's going to follow. There's still a question. Okay, you want to go with pshat? The pshat also forces us to ask. That somehow that David should have had some kind of a response, some kind of a judgment to Moshe for his questioning. Where? Where? Why don't we see it anyway? Now you could say, well, we don't get every conversation that happened between Hashem and Moshe recorded in Torah Shavachsav. But look at the context. Here it says, This whole conversation is introduced with harsh language and they wish to uh, uh, manifesting in a way of Elikim, it's words of Mishpat. Not only that. And look how much detail we're getting in what was included in this conversation between, Moshe, between Hashem and Moshe. When Moshe Rabbeinu said, why have you done negative to the Jewish people? David just said, now you'll see I'm going to fulfill my promises. That is some form of reprimand. As Rashi actually says that. 
So if in Parsha Shmois the Torah detailed what kind of reprimand Hashem gave to Moshe, why not in this Parsha leave it just open-ended? Which we know means that there was something harsh being said, and we don't know what. Especially when you consider that the Ebesha calling Moshe out for the fact that he questioned him is obviously a big deal. And it's even a bigger deal than in the last six parasha. Lama Hari Oise, why have you done bad? Where you could say, well, Moshe cares for the Yidden. Doesn't say it anyway in the Pasuk. Doesn't tell us. That's what Rashi adds. That's what Rashi says. Let's take the, the Pasuk at face value, at Pshat value, not face value, Pshat value. But the Pasuk is going to force us to look into the Medrash so we know what the nature of the criticism from Hashem to Moshe is. Seeing as the psukim illustrate clearly to us that there had to have been some harsh conversation with Moshe. And the Torah alludes to the fact that this is happening by using the expression the pshat of the pasuk is forcing us to look further to work out what happened. We need to look in a medrash. Knowing the pshat of the story is the force for looking into the story behind the story, the drash. In other words, the simplest way to understand this pshat pshat is that there are two conversations between Hashem and Moshe here. There's what can be read and understood at a pshat level. The Ebesha telling Moshe, I'm now going to fulfill my promise, go speak to the Jewish people, tell them they're going to leave Mitzrayim. And then based simultaneously, there's Divrei Mishpat, there are also these words of so-called uh, judgment that are being alluded to in the Pasuk. There is a conversation happening. The Potter is not spelling it out for us. It must be somewhere. Now we understand Rashi's introduced a new way of how to interpret Psukim, where there's a Pshat that drags out, that, that sends us into the world of Medrash. Basically, what Rashi's telling us is in every other place in Torah, you choose. Either you're going from the Pshat or from the Drush perspective. One entire approach is those explanations which are according to Pshat and Medrash that supports the Pshat, which is all in the broader arena of simple understanding of the Psukim. And that's they all belong in the volume of Torah called Pshat. And anything that requires Midrash without being there just simply to support the Pshat belongs in the volume called Drash. That's how it usually works. So if there's, some, if there's no explanation in Pshat, Rashi sends it to the Drash. If there's explanation in Pshat, he doesn't bring a Midrash unless it helps the Pshat. But now we've suddenly got a whole... A, 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 a union, a harmony. We've got a hybrid of different modes of how you learn the Torah. Hapirish Mukrach Mitzat Pshat Amikra. It is an explanation which is required because of the Pshat. Ach Ayeme Koyma, but where will you find the explanation? Loibi Pshat Amikra, not in the Pshat. Kim Bechedek Hadrash Shaboy, Shainim Isyashavachar Hamikra. You'll only find the explanation in the Drash, even though the Drash doesn't really fit so well with the words of the Pshat. 
It's an incredible hybrid that we don't normally see. If you want to explain a whole new way of understanding Torah, you're going to need a whole different marshal. He has to bring a proof of this. So to that, Rashi tells us that Debishta's words are like fire, and that fire is, that fire is like the boulder that splits into many pieces. Here, the fire splits into many sparks. As mentioned, Rashi is not describing what happens to the hammer. He's not describing what happens to the boulder. He's describing what happens to the fire itself, that it splits into all these different sparks. And there's a simple difference between shards of a boulder and sparks of a fire. Because the simplest explanation of the difference between a boulder that is shattered into, into smithereens and a fire that is broken into, into sparks. When you smash a boulder into many pieces, every one of those little pieces will be a different size, shape, weight, etc. But when sparks fly, to our eye, all of the sparks look the same. Both in terms of their scale and in terms of their quality. The human eye is incapable of seeing a difference between one spark and the next. They all look like sparks. The only difference between one spark and the next is which direction it flies. One goes west, one goes south. And it's exactly that point about Torah that Rashi wants to illustrate over here. One way that you understand Torah, which Rashi described in Parashas Vayishlach, is it's like hitting a stone, the stone smashes, and you have many different explanations. Each one is different. Which means the different ways to learn. Pshat doesn't look like drash. Drash doesn't look like soid. They all look different. They all have a different shape, size, and, and weight. And, and, and that's all valid. And that's exactly like the stone that has been broken, where the difference between the pieces of the stone is not just where they land up, but what they look like, how big they are, how heavy they are, etc. So one explanation fits with pshat, that's its size and shape, and the other fits with drash, which is its size and shape. As you see in Rashi's explanation there in Prashas Vayishlach, and what it means when it says, and he called it Kaila Lekei Yisrael, one explanation the pshat is that it's loy, what was called Kaila Lekei Yisrael, the Mizbeach. That he was naming the Mizbech to remember the miracle that had happened to him. That's a simple way to understand things. Whereas it appears, Hashem, the second expression that Loi refers to Yaakov himself, it's got a whole different feel to it. That doesn't feel like Pshat. That you're saying that the Ebishter called Yaakov Kel, that's far from Pshat. Looks different, sounds different, feels different. In our parasha, a whole different story. Here we're learning a whole different interpretation, understanding, appreciation for what Abish's words are like. So when the Abish's words split up into different channels, they're like sparks. Which means that the, the uh, definition or the so-called reasoning or the so-called explanation 
is actually the same, even though one is Pshat and the other one is Drush. Because whether you're looking at the words in the Pasuk, or whether you're looking at the backstory of what the Ebeshter was telling Moshe, both of those are required by Pshat. They're both motivated by the same question. Which is very much like the sparks, where all the sparks pretty much look the same. It's just a question of where you're going to find the explanation. The spark, which is the explanation of Pshat, is found in this volume called the Pshat volume. And the simple understanding of the words. And the other perspective which consolidates this perspective, so it's the same kind of goal and explanation, it's just found in a different book. It's found in the volume of Drush. And that helps us to consolidate our understanding and appreciation of the fact that Torah is one Torah. What does that mean? When we say that the Torah is one, we're not just saying, well, it's one Pasuk that has a whole lot of explanations, so the Pasuk unifies all of the different explanations. And not only are they different explanations, but each explanation evolves into the next explanation. As we know, the four levels of how you learn Torah, Pshat, Remes, Drush, Soid, correspond to the four worlds of existence, Asiya, Yitzir, Bria, and Asiya. In the same way as Bria is an evolutionary process that emerges from Atzilus, so too Remes is an evolutionary process that emerges from Soid, and so it goes. And therefore, obviously, whatever the Torah's explanations are, they must all align because they're all speaking about the same content, they all come from the same source, they all evolve into each other. Not only that. And it's not even good enough for us to say, if you take all the pieces of the Torah together as one big puzzle, you'll get the bigger picture. Similar to, take all the pieces of the human being, all the veins and sinews and organs and limbs, and put it all together and then include into that all the various facets of the neshama, and then you get a human being, one finished puzzle. Likewise, the Torah, take all the pieces together, you get one Torah. It's far more profound than that. Even when I encounter each particular piece of Torah in its designated space, pshat in pshat, medrash in drush. So if I'm learning in this particular part of Torah, I learn according to the rules that apply to that particular part of Torah. Because each part of Torah has its particular set of rules. How you're supposed to learn it. The fact is that because it's Torah, which means it's the Abishta's words of fire. Fire is not something you can split up into pieces. So Torah cannot be split up into pieces. It's like the simplicity of fire being the single organic entity. Can't Here's a piece of fire, there's another piece of fire. Therefore, we have to understand wherever we encounter a particular part of Torah and how we learn it according to the particular rules of that part of Torah, it is absolutely part of the rest of Torah. And you know where you see that most pronounced? That it's possible that an explanation required for the pshat of a pasuk is found in the drush of the, of the Torah because they are all one 
fundamentally united entity. That's a lesson for us when we learn Chassidus. When we're learning the Neshama of Torah, we have to know that everything we're learning is absolutely one with the revealed parts of Torah, which is the so-called body of the Torah. As you find in various places, there's certain subjects in Nigla the Torah that you cannot understand without going into the Primus Torah. It just tells you, like Rashi says of here, it's the same kind of thing. The, 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 the message is you're not going to understand this unless you go deeper. They're parts of Nigla the Torah that compel us to have to find an esoteric meaning. He has a great example, Raglov, when we use anthropomorphic limb expressions to refer to Hashem. We know that that can't be literal and we have to look deeper. The same applies in reverse. That sometimes there are concepts that you cannot understand in Hasidus or in Primus Atayra until you know what's going on in Nigla. Like you find Arizal frequently explains things, even though it's Kisve Arizal, which is outright Kabbalah, and explains things according to Pshat. When we learn every part of the Torah from the perspective that it is a single, unified Torah, that will help us that we should merit to learn immediately the Torah that Moshiach will teach us. Shilamateras Kol Ha'om Kula Yazrambam tells us that um, that Moshiach will teach Torah to the entire Jewish people, no matter who everybody is, no matter their stature, the Pshat people, the Soid people all together, because it's Torah Achas, and that should be by Mahira, be Mamash immediately.